0: Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the Firecracker Department. I've been thinking a lot about uh being alone. My husband's been working a lot out of town lately and so I've been spending a lot of time by myself and that's not to say Firecracker department isn't having constant Zoom calls about magical plates that we are spinning for you for the future. But I have been spending time on my own and I really like it. I you know, I like being social and I also like being alone. I think it's not introvert or extrovert, it's ambivert, somebody said to me once. And then I was also thinking about Michaela Cole, and if you haven't seen Michaela in I May Destroy You. It's fantastic. You absolutely should see it. And something she said in her speech for winning the Emmy award for, I may destroy you was do not be afraid to disappear for a while and see what comes to you in the silence. And that really struck a chord with me because I don't think I'm often silent. I think I'm putting thoughts into my head. I'm, I'm listening to things. I'm reading things, I'm doing things and I want to find out more what comes to me in the silence like that moment. What came to you? Was it awkward? Was it, oh gosh, is something wrong with my earphones? (laughs) Was it stress? Or was it like a little moment of breath? (sighs) Just to take in what's going on, I'd love to hear what's coming to you in the silence. A lot of you know that my parents passed away in 2020 and that's been a journey unto itself And for all of you who have dealt with grief, I'm sure you understand. Gosh, I think everybody's dealt with grief in one way or another. But another thing Michaela Cole said that really resonated with me is that sometimes pain is something to be grateful for. So in that silence, I'm trying to be grateful for the grief and the pain and knowing that maybe it's igniting something within me that I didn't have access to before as an artist and as a human being. Maybe it's making me more human more compassionate, Uh, maybe it's making me stronger. I'm on that journey and I don't have any answers for you, but I think those are two things I'm really digesting in my mind. What happens in the silence and how are we grateful for pain? What do you think about that? Drop me a line firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com or on our socials at firecrackerdept, unless you're taking a break from socials, which I get. Take a moment, be silent, and then tell me what happened. I'm really curious. I mean, of course, that's why meditation is so important and we all meditate differently. But what comes to you in the silence? For me, silence usually brings new ideas and reflection and acceptance and sometimes calmness, sometimes other emotions, but always something. So let me know. Let me know what comes to you in the silence. And again, if you haven't seen I May Destroy you. Once you're finished with your silence, dive into that. Watch it, it's next level. Michaela Cole is next level. And then read articles from her because she is such a profound thinker and such a profound artist. It's truly inspiring what she's bringing to this community. and. I'll share a couple of those articles on our Facebook group, just so you have access to that. All right, let's get on with this week's episode. I'm very excited to share this voice, these stories with you. Our guest on the show today is a queer, trans-feminine, Muslim playwright, performer, and workshop facilitator, beautiful soul, extraordinary human being, I could go on, Bilal Beg. Their first play, Acha Bacha, had its world premiere in 2018 and it has been published by Playwrights Canada Press. Bilal develops and facilitates workshops for youth in under-resourced neighbourhoods in Toronto at non-profits such as Rivers of Hope, where they combat Islamophobia through the arts, and Story Planet, which focuses on creative writing and literacy. Extraordinary, extraordinary work this person is doing in our community. I really encourage you to look up Rivers of Hope and Story Planet, great organizations. I could see and feel Bilal's heart light up when we were talking about these things. Like it's one thing when artists are creating their project and then you can see what happens when they create something with an organization. Gosh, you'll hear it in Bilal's voice when we're talking about it. It was like a virtual hug. You'll get it. I just want to hang around with Bilal. At the end of our conversation, I was like, just let me know what you're doing and how I can be part of it, because they're extraordinary. Now, here's a little bit of something that's pretty exciting. Are you ready for this? Bilal makes queer-story by becoming the first queer, trans-feminine, South Asian and Muslim performer in Canada to be cast in the lead role of a primetime TV series. And this is on the new groundbreaking CBC and HBO Max original series, Sort Of that is going to rock your world when you see it honest to goodness and wait there's more they are not only starring in this show they're starring as one of the first non-binary lead characters on a north american mainstream network tv series i'm like throwing my hands up in the air right now at how extraordinary this person is bala leads the creative charge as the executive producer writer lead performer co-creator on this amazing new show sort of follows a gender fluid millennial character named savvy who straddles various identities from sexy bartender at a queer bookstore slash bar, because you can't just be a bar anymore. It's 2021. To the youngest child in a large Pakistani family, to the de facto parent of a downtown Toronto hipster family that they are a nanny at. I mean, Sabi, this character, does it all. This is a must-see, must-must-see coming-of-age story, which exposes the labels that, you know, we once poured ourselves into as not really applicable anymore. I'm really jazzed to not only share Bilal's voice, but their stories, and again, I really encourage you to support their work because this is 2021 stuff and I'm here for it all. All right, you'll see what I mean when you listen to Bilal. Here they are, my chat with Bilal Bag. I'd love to talk to you about your theater career and how you've been able to pull it into your TV career. Cause this is your first TV show, right?
1: Yes, yes, kind of first Amazing. TV anything really. <laughs>
0: Amazing. Amazing. So do you, do you find yourself tapping into your theater skills for your TV work?
1: I find these two mediums so different and yeah. the pace of them also is like something to really grapple with as somebody who spent five years working on one play and more years <laughs> on another. And the thing that I'm finding does transcend is my fascination with characters and human Mm. beings and them actually talking to each other and going for as much as possible like voices and dialogue that feels like it's grounded in some reality it it was something that I know that I really fell in love with early on and why I was like it's why I don't want to really write novels or even poems really it's like I'm I'm in the business of dialogue like Human beings talking to each other, and so mm-hmm. so it's a pretty simple thing. But that's it's nice to have that to hold on to as I'm kind of navigating both both these worlds that otherwise feel very different to me.
0: Were there were there challenges for you? Like, I mean, I know you and Fab worked together before, so that was sort of like having your your buddy along the way. But what, what kind of challenges did you face when you first started doing sort of?
1: Well, I, I mean, I I just there was so much I didn't know, and I'm I'm, I'm down for learning curves and journeys and all of that, I just had not anticipated such a steep um, learning curve because of all the other titles I have on the show too. And and so for me, it was really just about, okay, the, the best thing I can do for this project in particular is continue to bring my honest self to every decision we make, whether it's creative or Uh, behind the scenes, who we're hiring or how we're going to, you know, run uh, uh, like an anti-oppression training for our crew. Like it it really went in lots of different directions. And and because I'm somebody who lived a much quieter life, pre-TV, I I was one of those kids that could kind of fade a little bit, you know, just nothing Mm -hmm. super sparkly about me. And so I, and I, I appreciated not being, noticed for so long and not kind of engaging with teachers and peers really. And a lot of that had to do with an epic shyness that I think I still hold. So, so the challenge was just about actually trusting myself enough, trusting my partners enough to know that they want Mm -hmm. my brain and heart on every single decision. And it's hard, it's hard to do that too when, you know, I'm on the younger end of the life spectrum too, and to, to like hold power. And I'm sure I think conversations like this must happen at Firecracker all the time around, it it is, it is a, it's a practice for me to be like, I, I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to speak clearly. Mm -hmm. I'm going to speak passionately. I also have to factor in, I, I need to know that I can keep particularly cis and straight, people engaged when I'm talking to them so that they don't check out and are like, oh, here's another trans person talking about their values or whatever, you know, and it, it, it's, and I know w- women have talked about it in different ways and, and people of color talk about it in different ways.
0: When you talk about speaking from your heart, when you're talking about like, not only casting from your heart, but also putting your crew together from your heart, that's, I don't know, I don't take, I don't take lightly. Who, who inspired you to live that kind of life?
1: My mother, told me that I'm never going to not be Muslim like that that is the foundation and I know she was saying it out of fear raising kids in the western world and the ways in which we may get more corrupted here than we would if we grew up in Pakistan but I don't know if that theory totally Mm -hmm. checks out because you know People, things happen everywhere all the time to all people. Mm -hmm. But she gave me this, it it, it wasn't a threat, it wasn't a a punishment or anything, but it was, a. later on in my life, I learned that it was a gift to be told Mm -hmm. that this is something that you will always have with you forever. And so that kind of laid this foundation. And then when I started to understand my own relationship to my queerness, my own relationship to my trans femininity, those things just started to build on top versus conflict with each other because Mm -hmm. the foundation was so solid and it was literally like never going to change. Those were my mother's words. So there's something just about having received that as a kid from her. And, and not overthinking it, but just believing it. And then as my life happened, it, I think I, to answer your question in the somewhat shorter way, it's complicated too, because my relationship with my mother is complicated, but I can say that that, that gift of, of this is, you are Muslim, that's not gonna change, mm-hmm. helped me to embrace all my other identities in that kind of, kind of secure, welcoming way versus, oh gosh, I'm scared now. Oh, am I gonna be more ostracized because I identify as this and that and-
0: Yeah, there's nothing you can do about that. Like that's such an interesting gift. And, and just like for the record, I don't think anybody doesn't have complicated relationships with their parents. I think that's across the board too. But, but what a gift it is to sort of go, okay, so that's the foundation. Now, what can I do from there? As opposed to, let me see if I can change being Muslim. Yeah, because it's not possible.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And so with that, like I'm not gonna change my transness, I'm not gonna change my queerness, you know, and and yeah. then then yeah, talk about authenticity, like it kind of really helps inform all your choices after that point when you are able to really see every part of yourself and let it be you know and there are other parts of me the the messy part of me the the, the sad part of me you know we have it all right
0: yeah I mean tell me about embracing all those things because I think that's like a never-ending process like when you're talking about embracing the sad the messy the everything I don't know for for a long time and jury still not out but I was like I don't do those things. Those are for other folks to do the messy stuff. And it's like the realization you're like, no, no, sneakers, you're equally as messy, sad, angry, everything. How did right. you embrace that?
1: Uh, you know, I've also had a very lengthy-ish relationship to therapy. And yep. I, I have a everybody r- should. Right, right. And you know, start start when you can because it's it's yeah, it's for me, my my current therapist is just doing wonders for for my brain in in re looking at stuff in my mm-hmm. life that I that I kind of boxed away or was like actually I'm not gonna deal with that someone else will or I'll never deal with <laughs> <That's> it.
0: <right. laughs> who who's, who else can let, let me know the number of the person that deals with other stuff because I I need that after the talk.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah right um, yeah. but yeah I think that's I think that's been part of it too it's it's been it's been really doing the work in therapy too not fearing it leaning into the things mm-hmm. that are difficult and then and then i think surrounding myself with really amazing people literally like uh, like community yeah. folks who are who are friends for sure but also mentors sometimes or kind of transcend that relationship and uh, mm-hmm. i feel so fortunate to have people around me who i can talk about cuz i think sometimes that's it like if we don't have the actual space or the sounding board to unpack mm-hmm. some of the messier stuff, some of the harder stuff, we, it, it's, it, it's harder to do it. So I, I really mm-hmm. do think that's a big part of it for me.
0: I mean, that's sort of talking about like finding your people. We talk about a lot of that in uh, firecracker department. Cause I feel like that's essential to feeling confident about your process and being able to feel confident about leaping into the process. Was there a moment like, even through your theat- theatrical career that you were like, oh, these are, I'm home. Do you remember that moment? It was pretty
1: uh, like an active um, thing I was pursuing. Actually, while I was training in theater school, I found the training, you know, oftentimes disinteresting or Oops pretty problematic. And so there were, uh, but I, and at the same time, I, I had that thing about, okay, get your education, like get the diploma, right? Like you should, yeah. you should just complete the thing that you started. But to, to offset some of the um, not joy I was experiencing th- in theater school, uh, I was able to discover that I needed to be, to to help me kind of get through those years. I needed, I needed people who felt more like me, who looked more like me, who were having conversations that I kind of wanted to have. And truly it was through Google searching, like queer, (laughs) trans, South Asian, GTA, literally. And, 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 you know, I think our world is expanding every, you know, there's, we can talk about the, the benefits of Internet, too, in that I, I know I wouldn't have been able to do that years ago or or especially when I was younger. You know, we weren't using Internet as as often or Google like that. And, and it was in finding this kind of collective that was just centered on creating online and in-person spaces for queer and trans people. That's what began that journey of. Knowing that other people are out there who who kind of look like me, who have similar ideas as me. And then the merging of that community-building kind of work and theater happened a couple of years later. And, and then I was able to finally start to see other theater artists who also are, are kind of community-oriented or want to work in ways that aren't just about, you know, climbing some sort of success ladder and mm-hmm. and then it was able to really kind of come together and now I look at my life and I have wonderful artist friends who reflect so many colors of the world the genders of the world and and um it's great to have that now the origin of it they they started in different places
0: I mean look at your like the crew that you have around sort of when I think of like it's, it's, it's enviable with like Grace Lin Kung and Fab Filippo and Nilu Honda. Those two like folks I'm just like, wow, that's a, that's, a, that's your team. Like that's part of your team that probably propel you.
1: It was a big joy. And in, in now when I look back at pre-production and the writer's room and finding the team was so essential yeah. in making this a reality. And I, I, I know that I, I just, because I'm kind of really particular in how I like to work, I knew that I wouldn't be able to do my best work if we weren't surrounded by people who deeply cared about their job, coming to work every day, mm-hmm. to work on something like this. And and I was holding out, I was like, okay, uh, yes, let's try our best to find this magical team. But I had my doubts yeah. for sure. And and then it was the experience of going to set every day. and having people, you could just, it's, it's an energy thing. You just felt like it dur- shooting during a pandemic too, people risking their lives to kind of come to work and, and to be in service of this story, it's, it's next level.
0: Yeah, I would also say like, just watching your, your journey with this kind of work when sort of, but also before that, like some people choose to be like, oh, I just want to be an actor. I want to serve other people's story and I'll tell my story through my acting but you chose to be like no I'm gonna actually write my story I'm gonna create plays talk to me about the the that choice
1: so the the truth is if I could never act again I think that I'd be happy really yeah no
0: yeah
1: it's tough for me I don't see it
0: I don't see it I see that you love what you're doing
1: I always loved writing as a kid. I knew that I wanted to tell stories. I was always kind of in my own world, imagining things and kind of really checked out of school and really in a dreamy state for like many years and knew that that meant that I had, I wanted to tell stories. And Mm -hmm. um, I I tried to get into creative writing schools and I got rejected from all of them. And then- Right. Right. Uh, But I knew that I knew that um, there was something in theater I had in high school, I had fallen in love with with theater and uh, particularly creating stuff like I I went to high school that really championed the young people to write their own stuff, produce their own stuff, direct their own stuff. And 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 I settled with theater school because I thought, okay. maybe I'll do this actor training stuff, but I'll, it, it, it's, at least it's, its I'm going to school for something that feels creative, that feels like it will yeah. unlock my imagination versus settling for like, you know, taking, going to university, yeah. doing things that I wouldn't. What done. was
0: the alternative?
1: It wasn't all thought through, but I thought that I was going to become a translator. Like, okay. learn learn a bunch of languages, and then yes. for the un be one of those with the with the headset no. and
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: and translating
0: everything <laughs> but really right. didn't you didn't you just want the cool headset that was all part of it well totally that's why that's why i'm like I- <laughs> Think it through because I, my I lost
1: French completely. I I studied it all through high school, and I was actually in France recently for, to to promote, sort of, and I could not hold a conversation for the life of me. And so I don't know that I actually have the brain to to, to hold all the languages. But yes, yeah. the headset the headset was was a big part of it for me. So it's complicated, yeah, okay. Because my relationship to uh, visibility is complicated, and so that's where. Uh, when I'm when I'm in the zone and and in a scene I'm, I'll am i do anything under the sun and it feels again like part of me is being worked and morphed and and um, the muscle is kind of being activated the thing that makes it so hard for me is is the posters and the billboards and the okay. the, the recognition and the the potentially being pointed at and talked about or like all of that stuff actually can sometimes make my skin really crawl and and so Mm -hmm. then it makes it a an interesting experience you know because I wouldn't give it up because I love being the vessel for some of these stories but it emotionally there is there is a cost for me and I recognize that and I'll like work my way through it but it's why it's challenging it's 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 tough for me yeah
0: yeah. Why do you think that is, though? Like, you know, you were, you had an imagination that puts you forefront. Like when you say that you were shy, I'm like, I don't I mean, I believe you because I believe you, but I don't see it like you're so vivacious. But what do you think it is that makes your skin crawl for having that kind of attention? I,
1: I grew up in a household with three other siblings who couldn't be the like, just uh, talk about vivacious, right? Like opinionated, asking for things, asking for attention, yelling, screaming, and and I'm the third of, of four kids. And it that I, I part of me feels like just didn't come into this mm-hmm. world wired that way. I I saw how my parents had to kind of deal with my other siblings and when i was able to be quiet and and uh, more observant and not noticed it really felt recharging for me actually like i felt Mm -hmm. like i could get through a school day if it if if a teacher didn't ask me a question or didn't pick on me to answer something you know and then i and then i think i don't know what came first the chicken or the egg but in terms of being visibly trans and existing in in the world, choosing to wear the things I do and present my gender in the ways that I do. There were a number of years that was, it was really difficult. I, I know what it feels like to be looked at and to really be looked at and sometimes laughed at and sometimes a lot of times pointed at. And, and that was all before TV stuff, you know? And, right. and so- right. So it just, it just, it, it was really uncomfortable. And sometimes it'd be hard for me to just leave my apartment, you know, because I I'd know what a day could look like for me. Um, if I, if I wanted to express myself in the ways that I wanted to, and I did want that for myself. I, again, having that experience of not feeling like, like I needed to hide my transness or reconcile it or like it just, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm good to express this. Is the world ready to hold me as I express it? And, 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 and I think that working on sort of as has amplified all of that. And I I knew that too. I didn't go into this being like, oh, I hope no one will notice me. Like (laughs) I I know what I signed up for. And again, that was, there's been a lot of personal emotional work in, in kind of preparing myself.
0: Yeah. You sort of take it for granted sometimes that you're like, well, I'm just going to put this out there. And then you forget about like the publicity machine that is needed to support the work that's out there. And that sometimes takes, takes its toll. So are you able to find like those silent moments? Like I think Michaela Cole's speech, did you hear her um, speak about at the Emmys the other day and saying like finding the silence? And that really resonated for me. I don't know about you, but are you able to find silence or are you just sort of giving into where sort of is taking you right now?
1: Of course I like to work. I, and, and, and I know that work is important and it, it clearly fulfills me, but so does rest and pleasure. And, you know, I'm a bit, I, I, I like to like escape when I can. And last weekend I was in Portland, Ontario at a friend's kind of cabin and so it was on the water yeah. and and went walked through the trees at like midnight and it was like super mm-hmm. scary but but quiet and, and 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 silent and recharging you know so i, I do mm-hmm. i really value that and whenever i can i try to make it happen for myself
0: can you give me a little snapshot like i feel i want a little snapshot of where your mind used to go as a kid like when you did your storytelling or your writing Do mm-hmm. you do have like a, a world that you build
1: Yeah, I I actually, you know, uh, uh, when we were really young, we, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm totally going to say it. Myself and my, two of my siblings, we would, we created like a civilization, basically.
0: I love this so much because I had a world that lived in a cul-de-sac. Like we, like our civilization was on the circle. So tell me about your civilization.
1: Well, our civilization, they were called paper people. And so we would draw them out. They were, they were all about 12 centimeters. I still wrote 12 centimeters. And you would draw them, you know, draw what they're wearing and then color them in, then cut them out, cut the shape out, then flip them over and color in their back. Like, so if there's long hair at the back or if oh, the yeah. top that they're wearing mm-hmm. is out at the back or like whatever you know and then we would each make about 20-25 of these people oh and then yeah. it was me and my two siblings, so about 60-ish people in this in this civilization and then they'd all go to school but they'd also have relationships and they'd cheat on each other and that they'd, they'd have friend breakups and it, it was like this- <gasps> social examination of popularity and I think it was because me and my siblings were responding to what we were observing at school and then we're like feeding it into a, a a civilization that wasn't our current reality but but it was our place to dream and mix up like oh what if the dorky brown kid is actually becomes the most popular kid in school you know what would that do to the social dynamics
0: Oh my God, that's so exciting. And I want to see that animation. Yeah. Hey, you know, because it's, it's mm-hmm. actually quite,
1: you know, the paper people like can't really move their legs and, but there's something about that. If they became animated, something. Yes. Great.
0: I mean, I have no, I'm just going to say, put that into the universe, but that to me is like the makings of something really exciting. And I will also say, my cul-de-sac was boring in comparison to that. Do you reflect back on those paper people and see how those steps led to the creator and artist you are? Hundred percent.
1: hundred percent I always oh think gosh. about that because it was we were so young and we were so um, invested in that creative world and making character yeah. voices and talking like conflict, creating conflict, you know? And it's everything I do now as an adult, yeah. like, or, like in my job. So, so yeah. yes, it's so connected.
0: When did you know that you wanted to tell stories in this way and not through, as you said, like fiction writing or short story writing or anything like that? When did you know your stories needed to be this platform? I mean, uh,
1: I, I, I really, when I was in high school, about grade 11-ish was when I fell in love with playwriting. And I really fell in love with it. I had, I was, again, I was kind of disconnected from school and, and I was a fine student, you know, wasn't failing anything, but I mm-hmm. don't think I was excelling really in anything either. And, and I got to, you know, because um, the first couple of years of high school drama class, it was just acting mostly. And so yeah. i kind of fine with it, kind of interested. And then it was. I had read a play. It's called White Biting Dog, written by Judith Thompson. Yes, Judith Thompson. Thank yeah. you. Right. And oh my god. Yeah. It's a it's a talk about messy and uncomfortable. Like I yeah. remember being young and and reading it and feeling something. Like I had I had read a whole bunch of books up until that point. I was about 15 and And, but I had never felt anything while reading literature. I just, it always felt like homework or like, okay, just understand. So you can answer some questions about it or, and and that play, I just picked up. I I was not assigned to read it and it pierced me. I felt something deeply emotional for the first time while reading something. And I was like, I want to do that. Like I Uh want to write something in a way that could actually make people feel something.
0: Yeah, it's like you've taken, like, the, the paper characters and created your own show. Like, now that you can read a play and actually be, you know, delved into that, that atmosphere.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it, 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 that, it is why it felt kind of natural. Like, because I was able to call upon this stuff from, like, being five and six and seven and, 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 and doing that. Then when I was 15, 16, it was like, oh, now I understand kind of how to format a play or what stage directions are, you know? And then it was just this marrying of these things, a a little bit more difficult for sure. It was, uh, writing my first play was also a very emotional experience. And, you know, I worked with my drama teacher and she would give me notes and I'd go away and rewrite and come back. And that was like months long of a process, but again, kind of cool to start at that oh. age of 15, 16. So that 19, 20, 21, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't foreign in any way, you know?
0: I feel like that's what you're doing too, with like the way you've done this first season of sort of, because you're leading in a way that is true to you. Like you're, you're teaching yourself things now that, you know, when you're 40, 50, 60, you'll be like, Oh, I've been doing that for years.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And it's great to be able to, I, I totally recognize the, the privilege and having the ability to, to choose and to, to be, uh, you know, it really feels like it's one of those situations where I think because there's so much mutual respect from all the people on the team, mm-hmm. we're always checking in with each other around, okay, what, what's okay now, or how do you want to approach this? And yeah, that's huge. That's huge, I think. I don't I think that I'd be able to work on sort of if, if I didn't know that I could have that, that level of say in all of it.
0: But I will also say that I think it comes from you. Like I think you're creating from a place of your truth. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really attractive. Like I think other people see that and then go, oh, I want to I do that too. And you know, the dialogue that you have on set, whether it's challenging or easy, at least you've set a platform for like, Hey, if, if there's challenging conversations, let's have those conversations. Like I, I think that you're setting the safer platform for folks to feel like they can also be truthful.
1: Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. I, I thank you. I think that's, I think that's absolutely it. I'm, 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 I'm so, I just don't know that we our world is totally going to move forward if we if we don't actually talk to each other and engage mm-hmm. and risk being open and vulnerable. And yeah. it's okay, like we will make mistakes, but I think we really have to have those conversations, like be present enough with each other, yeah. risk showing our hearts.
0: Otherwise, what's what yeah. are we
1: doing? I don't know, you know.
0: Totally, let's get sweaty and awkward, right?
1: Yes, yes, I love that, yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Again, like I feel like you could have chosen a safer route and gone like, I'm just gonna write my plays and then I'm gonna do this. But then there's also a level of activism that I feel like you've chosen. Was there a moment that you're like, oh, I gotta step into this, I can't avoid. Like, you know, your work with Story Planet and Rivers of Hope, I'd love to hear about that.
1: It was actually in response to me feeling like my world was becoming too small in theater school. Like, I really, Mm -hmm. I thought that I was going to lose my mind if I had to spend another eight hours unpacking George Bernard Shaw and his kind of feminism in a play that he wrote in the 1800s. I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm on this earth to be doing that.
0: Yeah, right. And where am I in the George Bernard Shaw plays? Yeah, yeah. And and so... So it was,
1: and at that point I was like, I was in year two of theater school. I could feel my world shrinking and shrinking and becoming more and more like something that I didn't even recognize. And so the impulse to break from that was, you know, again, growing up in the household that I did, I I knew that my mother responds to gentleness and kindness, I think. I think she really appreciates that in other people Mm -hmm. and I, I've I think kind of always wanted to really impress her or really show her that I can be the, a really kind of full and amazing person. And so uh, trying to practice kindness and warmth and, and seeing other people was something that I had already been thinking about kind of through high school and after and and definitely into college and, and so that that felt like, uh, service to me like i, I was like i think mm-hmm. i need to be in service of something greater than george bernard shaw basically and so and so that's when the google stuff started happening about finding community and and it was and then one thing really led to another once i started to understand that community building is actually something that people invest in and is something that can feel rewarding i just started to identify all the other things that I cared about. And I, I care a lot about children. I think that they are such precious beings and I'm not interested in waiting for them to become adults to then value them. I think children as they are, are so deeply valuable to our society. And so I was able to discover that I am really invested in, in working with children and then and then also working with trans women and, and then, of course, uh, with Muslim students in particular, and to talk about um, Islamophobia and, and how it looks like so many different things and how to kind of, uh, for, for non-Muslim students to, to step in and, and how to intervene. And if something harmful is happening, like all of those things just started to, again, build on top of each other once I was able to access what my values actually are and that they do extend to very specific yeah. communities. and. And you know, I'll be real. I wish I had more capacity to to do a better job, like advocating for the environment. You know, and I, I'm not that person that's gonna just like.
0: You may have your plate full. I'm just yeah, right. Saying, like choose your choose your battles.
1: Right, right. And so that's part, that was part of it too. For a little while, it was. It was like, well, how do you choose when when you care about a lot of things? And yeah, it's also really nice to know that that life is long. And like, I think I can pour myself into a couple of things now, and then those things might change or evolve into another version later on. And th- so that feels cool. Like that actually feels freeing. You know, I, I I want that to be part of this discourse around activism and and. Like how do you do it if you're so busy or you're, you're too tired? Like all of that I think is absolutely valid. And, and my approach so far has been really identifying that I do receive joy from doing this work. Very specific kind of joy that I don't get from writing plays, creating television and that I need to follow that joy and not deny it or not not be scared by it, you know? And it's also challenging work. It's so challenging working with co- communities who who are vulnerable, you know?
0: How's your patience? Because I feel like you know that there's a lot to do. Yeah. And I love what you just said, which is like, because this hits my heart, was that, you know, some things feed that part of my joy and other things feel, feed that part of my joy. You know, as an actor, I get, so much joy from being able to do comedy, but it's a so different joy than I get to do with the firecracker department. So how's your patience with trying to get it all done in a lifetime?
1: Yeah, I I definitely identify as a pretty patient person. Again, with the... Mm -hmm communities I work with in in particular you know getting a child to sit down and write a story you kind of need every patience in the world for that the the trans women I work with they'll show up like an hour and a half late to our rehearsal so so like I I get it I get it you know I love patience I love that word I think it's a again it's a practice you know I have to practice Daily, being patient. Okay, I'm. I'm a little bit worried about the state of the world and and climate for sure. I feel like I can say this to myself. I have enough time to do all the things that I want to do. Like I, I just hold on to that belief. It may not be true. I. I don't know. I don't have total control of what will happen to me in my life. I, I guess that's something connected to faith too, because because I I believe in a higher power. I think I think they're up there being like yeah, whatever whatever I've got mapped out for you is is going to happen, you know? So mm-hmm. there's, there's a relief yeah. in that too. It's like, I can't also totally control everything I'm gonna do every minute of my life. Yeah.
0: yeah, I have that sort of notion of like, I'm not gonna be able to do everything I wanna do. Like I'm, I have to take a break and like not push so hard because I, my patience is not good. Like I'm like, oh, I wanna do it now, let's get it done as opposed to it'll uh-huh, get done when it's supposed to get done. Uh-huh. I found with
1: playwriting, that was patience yeah. central. Like that was just, is that, that's an experience no, you haven't-
0: I'm a horrible writer. Okay. No, I'm a horrible writer because I want to just do a draft and be like, that's good to go, right? We're finished. <laughs> and then the second, third, fourth, 20th draft, I'm like, oh no, oh no. So I'm not good with that. I have patience more with people, I think, but not with my, myself. Right,
1: right, yeah. yeah.
0: So I get that somebody turning up for an, a, a rehearsal an hour and a half late. I'm like, you know what? I get it. Things happen. Life goes on. And then there's part of me that's like, but we got so much to do. There's so much to do in the world. With the, um, with the story planet, can you tell me a little bit about working with the kids? Because I'd love to hear like, I don't know, maybe there was a success story when you were like a victory that made you want to keep going with that kind of work. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I You know, because... What's so magical about that organization is we really, we really try to offer a non-traditional creative experience. That's the kind of like mission statement language stuff, but what it actually manifests in is, is allowing the child to lead the creative process 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. So that we've got our goals as workshop facilitators. We know we'd like every child to have a, a, a short story kind of written so that it can, we can then take it away and we publish it. We have a book making machine and we get a professional got artist it. to cover and then every student gets a book with their story and their il- illustration in it. And
0: so oh, oh, great, great. Right. like so good, so pure. and so, so- like... Build confidence, building like to see your name and going. Like, oh, I wrote that. That's yeah. oh, you're what a gem, right? Yeah. Right. So, so the
1: tangibles already are so so extraordinary. And then what I really, really fell in love with was was our approach, which is if a child um, just wants to talk about their weekend or wants to run around for ten minutes and then write or wants to draw first or roll on the floor, like we just do it we follow their lead and so i've, I've m- the most beautiful experiences have been working with the Shire kids who who already feel like their voices don't matter or aren't valuable yeah. and to, to spend time sitting with them and in that and not not erasing that reality for them because if that's what they feel that is absolutely what they feel but yeah. we have the language to engage with that in a way that wouldn't reinforce that I think it's a harmful idea that a young person, a a seven year old already feels that their voice isn't valuable, but but to sit with it, listen to it, ask questions, and and see how we can actually transform that moment. And we do that with multiple children and multiple classrooms over and over and over again, you know.
0: I love that so much. You know what, we should all probably roll around on the floor a little bit before we start writing. I think that might help us.
1: Oh my God, yes. What I've learned from those kids too. Oh my God, there's such a freedom too. There's no <laughs> yeah. uh, reasons for why they want to craft a story in a certain way. They just, they're literally following their intuition which is a
0: beautiful thing to witness. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that makes me so hopeful. <laughs> Because I feel like people like you, if you're, like, guiding those little brains and hearts, then there's hope for, like, future artists. That's totally part of it for
1: me. You know, I, I, again, I can't control what any of these people choose to do with their lives. But the hope is that if somebody at that age came into your world and said, I'd love to hear your voice, I'd love for you to express yourself however you want, that could just make a... A pretty big difference, I, I believe.
0: I mean, now, even like after childhood, even as an adult, somebody sitting down going, I think you have something valuable to say, because everybody does. So I know you, um, you were a nanny for a short time, and I know your character in sort of as a nanny, and I love, I love that connection. I also love watching you with those two kids. That's really magical. Oh, yay. Yeah, oh. so fun. And just so real too, right? Like you just, you know, my the, the thing I hate is when people like talk down to kids and like you just have such real conversations with them. When you were developing those characters with Fab, was that you bringing that to the table going, well, I was a nanny. I think this would really suit this character. Well, the, the, yeah, the nanny thing,
1: we just found it so funny. Like I remember telling Fab that I was a yeah. nanny for eight months and we were like, that image in and of itself, like, and, I, and it was in, it was kind of in that um, Roncesvalles kind of area. And so the, the homes are nicer and it was me, you know, with two young children. And there was just something so disruptive about it too, like a body like mine taking care of kids in that kind of space. And um, and then, it, yeah, so funny, honestly. And, and, and then I, I kind of revealed that I wasn't an amazing nanny. Like I didn't, there was a lot of things that I think could right. better. But the one thing that I, I felt really good about was again, seeing the children that I was working with as their present full selves and not expecting them, not, enga- not waiting to engage with them until they're quote unquote smarter or like that. I would, how I kind of talked to my friends a, a little bit, but a little bit, um, Obviously, with a with a shield of knowing that I'm yeah. talking to a child, but that 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 was something that was <laughs> yes. really great about bringing in Sebi that they talk to the kids like like okay, well, and they, they they believe in those children's agency that they have the capacity yeah. to choose. Like that moment, I think you've seen the second episode, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yes.
1: Right, mm-hmm. where they say to Violet, the, "Hey, um, someone's got to talk to your dad, or or someone, need, and someone needs to make you a, both a snack." What, yeah. what do you want to do? You know,
0: Oh, I love that moment. Yeah, I love that moment. I also love the moment, like of even like the first where you're you're walking down the sidewalk together, because you know, as as TV watchers, we're all writing the story as fast as we can. So I'm seeing these three characters. What's the relationship here? Oh, are they, are they siblings? Are they, is that their mom? Is that their parent? Like, how does it, and I love like that moment of going, Oh, that's what they are together. It's so exciting. Yeah.
1: Cool. Cool. Cool.
0: Um, Bilal, I just, I'm just so happy. (laughs) I'm so happy speaking with you. Uh, I don't want it to end, but I, also don't want to hold the world's record for the longest podcast Uh, so let's let's do some wrap-ups I'm going to turn the tables and let you ask me a question as I usually do at the end of these podcasts and then we'll do some wrap-up questions
1: okay amazing I'm gonna try to make this a question it is a question I just don't know how to totally frame it I'm I'm right now I'm so curious about people and their relationship to leadership and great so I don't know what the question is, but maybe I'm, I, I'm just, I just want to hear another brain talk about either how you approach leadership, how you truly feel about it. Is that in contrast with the things that you have to do as the founder of Firecracker department, like all of that, does, does that make sense?
0: It absolutely does. I find leadership so exciting. I find everybody who steps into a place of leadership exciting because it's not, it's not a straight road. It's not a smooth road. It's an exciting road. And I'm up for the adventure of where this takes me. But I do love the idea that I can pull people together. It's sort of like what we were talking about before with community. Like the fact that I've created something that brings people together for a common purpose and joy, that's I'm good. That's, that's all I want to do. And I also think there's like, for me, there's a time to lead and there's a time to follow. And I love doing both equally. Like I sure love when somebody else calls up and says, Hey, do you want to be part of this thing that I'm leading? I'm like, awesome. Let me just follow your lead. So I think there's a real give and take that's important. I've been diving into a lot of Brene Brown. You ever Mm. read, read any of her stuff? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
0: yeah. So that's sort of been feeding me a lot with like, The power of leadership too and how if we can have like a room full of folks that love leading then we're all gonna all gonna take responsibility for things and I think that's that's a huge key for me is like engaging with people that see the common purpose but also enjoy the ownership of it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what about you because you've stepped into a leadership role from the beginning from paper from paper dolls how yes. do you find leadership in your heart?
1: Yeah, totally. It's all the way from childhood. Yes, my favorite part of it is seeing the people that I'm working with and adapting everything to make sure um, all the needs are being met as, as much as yeah. possible, which is a tall order when you're working with lots of different kinds of people who have different, but there's a thrill in being like, oh, what if I adapted the the style of Um, This workshop I'm delivering or how I'm even talking or what words I'm using to make someone else feel included or that they can actually receive and benefit from what's being delivered, you know, and.
0: And feel good about what they're delivering too. like that to me is the best thing when somebody when I've kind of set a good stage for somebody to have a good, good play.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's a real beauty in that, and 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 it doesn't feel like egoey at all. It really is just like, like I can, if I can give that to somebody else, why not? Like, why wouldn't I want to be a part of making a space feel really nice for people?
0: Yeah, yeah. I often equate it to like um, when you have dinner parties and how you welcome people into your house. So when people come over to my house for dinner parties, I'm like, here's some carrots, get the chopping. We're making soup. Or like, that's where the glasses are. Grab yourself a drink. Like, I don't, I don't want to just be a leader. I want to be an, in, in, <laughs> I'm going to invent a word, in, inclusifier. Like, yeah. I want people to feel like they're included in my party. Not that I'm hosting their party.
1: Right, right.
0: Yeah. Fire. You'll You'll see it so often after this podcast is released. Yeah, All I right. Can't. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me wrap it up with some questions. Here we go. Fill in the blank below. Uh, oh to me, a firecracker is?
1: Inspirational.
0: What do you want to be best known for?
1: My listening skills. It's good. You got those.
0: If this was a movie, like if your life was a movie, what would you say would be like the climactic turning point that changed your life?
1: Wow. Um, It would be meeting uh, a dear friend of mine who came to Canada recently and is trans and showed me that there is power in living your life honestly and with as much joy as possible. And she's been, she's kind of been my guide in, in pursuing warmth and joy and pleasure because I, I, I got to see her really, she got to this country and she's like, what is going on? I, I, and, and just made a whole bunch of choices and really kind of centered herself in her own life. And it was really beautiful to witness all of that.
0: What's something that people don't know about you?
1: People don't know that soon I will be moving.
0: Oh, okay. In the city? Are you staying close?
1: Yeah, within within okay. our city, but I am making a bit of a move. All
0: right. Okay, all right. I mean, all moves are a shakeup, whether it's a big move or a small move, it's a shakeup. So what has been your favorite mistake and what did you learn from it?
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I think it's partially because we've been talking about children so much, but in one of the workshops for Story Planet, I had um, invited a, ch- a really young child, I think they couldn't have been more than five or six, and then go in front of the class and, and show us how your creature moves, you know, and, and all the kids were doing it. It's just fun and, and beautiful. And, 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 and the child uh, said to me that they didn't want to do it and I said oh come on everyone's having fun it'll it'll be great and and don't worry and come on up and and so the child did and moved around and was really uncomfortable and then i believe other children started laughing a bit too and then afterwards in that same workshop i found that same child crying in a corner and I went up to them and I was like "What? what what's wrong what happened and they were like I, I didn't want to move around as my creature and you made me and then people laughed and then I took it a step further and and denied that person's truth and said oh, well they weren't laughing at you they were laughing with you and it was yeah. so false and it was and a child can read all of that bullshit mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. it Destroyed me afterwards when the workshop ended, and we always do a debrief. And then what I learned from it was to never do that again, to Mm -hmm. really respond to somebody's body cues. You know, they made it pretty clear that they didn't want to do it. And I, I didn't listen to that. And I pushed further. Then I lied to them, you know? And I was like, okay, I can't do that ever again. And, and, and it, it also wasn't, a, a, it was just a real opportunity to learn and grow and, and to continue to bring that awareness to, to all of my work. But it, it, it's pretty significant because it was earlier on when I was facilitating and it was a new experience for me and I hadn't made a child cry before. And it, it really was not good you know
0: no oh my gosh thank you for that that's such a great story though thanks for sharing that i mean th- that is the kind of thing like as a facilitator you're like come on everybody jo- oh here- here's a little boost and now you're going to have the confidence to do it as opposed to what you were saying which is like watching body cues which is like of of course but we don't always have that i don't know peace awareness but yeah. that's such a great story thank you yeah What's something that you haven't done, but you know you have to do?
1: Oh, wow. Okay, oh, there's so many things. Okay, I think, yeah, I'm gonna say it. I think skydiving.
0: Okay, all right, all right. That is not on my list. I'm like, I get freaked out from improv enough, I don't need to skydive. Um, right. where, where do you get your power from? What makes you feel powerful?
1: Conversations with my friends.
0: Mm-hmm. Love it. What has been the best advice you got or the worst advice that you got? Well,
1: the worst advice, you know, a, a sub theme of this conversation must be, you know, my, my kind of disdain for, for theater school or, or that, the particular training I think I got. But it was at the end of my theater school experience and it was the exit interview. I was so done, I couldn't wait to get out. And they, the faculty all sitting around the table told me not to do anything queer. That I'm more interesting when I can trick people into my straightness or uh, a cisness, oh. or like I'm powerful, I'm powerful like that. And I'm less powerful when I'm queer. Like they literally, and they, and the, you know, wow. the theater in Toronto, Buddies and Bad Times Theater, and they're like, Buddies is too easy for you. Don't go to Buddies. Like, go to Shaw, go to Stratford, like, p- prove to people how powerful you are. And, I, it made no sense to me, but I was so oh. done at that point. I was just like, okay, yeah. no. And the first yeah. thing I did was like make a bunch of queer content, which is exactly <laughs> what right. product I need to where the I second... am. The second, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> well, what, what do you think though? Like, what do you think that they were trying? Like, what was their intention there? That seems I... so anti-creative, anti-supportive of creativity what do you think yeah. was going on
1: i think that they they i think you know i think it was a it was a it was kind of hate on both sides i think they didn't really like me as a student because they started to realize i i liked my political voice i liked to bring mm-hmm. up issues in how we were working or how to be not as racist as we're building like a show together right. or something Thing, you know, right. and, and 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 I think they started to observe that, oh, okay, here's this person kind of transforming into a super like queer political kind of like activist person. And I think they were afraid that that if i went too far down that path i would be more disconnected from my artistic voice you know they really believed i have the capacity to transform and so they they Mm -hmm. noticed over the three years that I, i played a variety of roles and that that i was i think mostly believable in all of those variations of different characters of different genders and and whatever colors and and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think for them, they were saying, if you do queer stuff, that's the easy route. And the more challenging route is for you to continue to transform into all of these different uh, parts of mm-hmm. you.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, in a roundabout way they were saying, you have such versatility, but they were just worried that you were going to be too versatile. You would end up with your own TV show and, uh, please don't well that,
1: I mean that was confusing because I'm like okay versatility not a bad thing at all especially in, a, no. in our business but to say don't do, they literally said don't I, I remember they said they said don't go to buddies and don't create queer content like that is literally what they said and I'm like I just it's like denying that there's versatility within that world too you know yeah. it's like all queer yeah. stuff the same I, I don't think so
0: Oh my God. You must have had like one foot at the door and be like, I couldn't hear the last part of that sentence, but bye. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah totally. um,
0: who's a firecracker in your world that we can shine light on? Oh, can I say two? Yes, you can.
1: Okay. Okay, great. So Kamala Makaral just wrote a book of poems called Zomfam, where I think they just recently won a prize from the Canada Council. I'm, I might be misquoting, but I, I do know they won something. And it's also a beautiful book of poems. And the author is gorgeous and wonderful. And black and brown and trans feminine and a big kind of mentory kind of light in my life and then the other person yeah. who 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 was a consultant on sort of but I really love um what she posts and she's also um a writer and her name is Kai Cheng Tom so I just I want to bring them into this conversation
0: yeah I love that I don't I mean I think that's so important to like you know, reverberate light and put them onto something else. And poetry wise, we, I don't know enough about poetry in the world. So I love that recommendation. Final question is what advice, what advice would you have given to yourself as you were establishing your world?
1: Mm -hmm. I was pretty hard on myself for a number of years. I was really self critical. You know, I think in an effort to really try to be nice and, and exude a kind of warmth to the rest of the world. I guess in a twisted way to balance that, I was really kind of harsh to myself. And anytime I'd slip up or, you know, did something or didn't didn't follow through with something, I'd get really mad at myself. And I, I, I journal a lot. And so I'd, I'd kind of journal really angry notes to myself. And I think I would encourage myself and maybe anybody else who finds that they have a tendency to be really critical to it's that thing of like how would i approach this situation if it wasn't me if i if i was speaking mm-hmm. to a child or speaking to a friend or or uh, somebody who i really love and value like i wouldn't be that harsh so i think that mm-hmm. i think that would be it for me I, I i loved what i was doing for so many years but i was um what's changed is i'm less mean to myself now and i wish i
0: mm-hmm.
1: Was a little less mean to myself uh, a couple of years ago, you know?
0: Yeah, I think it's a line, though, don't you think? Like, of, or at least I find this is that when I'm when I should be like kicking myself in the butt and be like, get to work, sneakers, and when I'm like, go easy on yourself. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a fine line for me of when I need to tighten up my bootstraps and when I need to just take a break.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. And you know, I I think. Given how hard I saw my parents work, I, I knew that I, I had that in me—that ability to kind of, you know, definitely go to school and then rehearsals afterwards, then do your homework, and 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 then also through theater school as well. And I think I think that's it for me. I could I needed to balance uh, appreciating myself as much as being critical too. You know, I didn't do a lot of the opposite, which is hey, Bilal, you just got through an eight hour day of rehearsals and then you're going off to do this one community event thing. And, you know, like to to actually take the time to be like, you did all of that, uh, enjoy your sleep, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the balance, right? Of saying like, there are times when you have to be like, work harder, but if you don't also say next to that, hey, good for you, that was a long day. (laughs) I think that it's just uh, not as productive. Oh, boy, I just loved speaking with you. I've just really enjoyed this discussion. I knew I would, and uh, I knew it would be hard to say goodbye, but I I just think, I think you're really an extraordinary person, and uh, I'm really excited to see sort of hit the waves and watch people embrace it and you.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad. Cl- this was really fun, and I, I'm sure that I should, I think there should be more, don't you think, like in the future? Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's do some follow-ups. I know our paths will cross, but um, I'm really looking forward to seeing you in person one day and giving you a huge hug. I just loved it. I just love, I mean, I could listen to this again and again. I usually listen to these episodes a couple times. But this one, I could have this on repeat for a while. And I loved their story about talking to that kid, about getting involved, and talking to kids, you know, like as kids too, like let them just be kids. And the relationship that Savvy has with the kids in sort of is extraordinary. Follow Bilal at sortofbilal, all one word, on Instagram. And don't forget, Bilal's first play, Achabacha, is available at Indigo, Kobo, and the Kindle Store. You gotta get a copy of that and soak in the heart from that script. And now you can watch Sort of on CBC Gem and beginning Tuesday, November 9th, on CBC TV with back-to-back episodes starting at 9 p.m. or 9.30 p.m. NT. Let's carry on the discussions that these voices are starting in these episodes. What did you think about Bilal's story? What did you think about their voice? What resonated with you in this episode? And let us know on Instagram or Twitter at firecrackerdept. Or, you know, you can always leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love that and we wanna hear from you. We want it to reverberate into our socials too because there's a lot to talk about and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Head over to our website at firecrackerdepartment.com and subscribe to our newsletter to have the inside track on upcoming events, mentorship workshops, script readings, upcoming podcast guests, and so much more. You know, Firecracker Department. We got a lot going on and we'd love to have you at the firecracker table. Go on out there, take some creative action. I'm Naomi and we'll see you next time on Firecracker Department. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker Head producer. Follow her at Wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and Wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Now, whether you're a first-time or a long-time listener to the firecracker department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world, that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Share it, because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity, so pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music, and thanks to you. Yeah, you, sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there, and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.